Our scripture lesson today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 6. This is the greatest sermon ever given by the smartest man who ever lived. It's the beginning, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So let's share in God's good word together. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring worries of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Fear not, Jesus says. Sin not, Jesus says. Judge not, Jesus says. Worry not. This is what Jesus says. Can you do these on your own? Probably not. Right? It's only because of the power of the resurrection, it's only that God lives in us, do these commands become possible. And so the earliest disciples were stuck in these first few years um, after Jesus died and was resurrected with what we might call a resurrection religion, a resurrection faith. They knew the teachings of Jesus uh, by eyewitness accounts, but they had no Bible. Uh, as we would understand it today, that wouldn't be written uh, and put together until 325. Uh, even Paul's earliest letters start around 2025 A.D. And so these first followers, these first eyewitness accounts, these first people persecuted by the government of Rome over their area, they had to figure out, how do I follow Jesus? How do I do this? And Jesus said these crazy things like, fear not. Are you, are you kidding me? We just watched you hung and killed and tortured on a tree. Fear not. Be not afraid. Sin not. What? Like, we're not supposed to sin. We have the power not to sin anymore. Yes. If you'd like to know more about fear not and sin not, you can look at the last two messages. We're in this sermon series about what not to do. And in these seasons where we're not exactly sure what to do, the Lord asks us to wait and to hear his voice again and to try not to do anything silly in the meantime. And so tonight we come to perhaps what you might consider the most crazy not of all, worry not. Have any worriers in the house? This back to school, you worry when you get the kids ready. You worry when you get them to the bus stop. You worry what seat they're going to be on. You worry if they're going to have anybody to sit with on the bus. You worry if they're going to like their teacher. You worry if the teacher's going to like them. You worry and you worry and you worry about who's going to sit where at lunchtime. uh, And you worry, uh, are they going to get on the bus to come home? Or are you going to pick them up? Or uh, are they going to change teachers? Are they going to have a teacher, uh, depending on your school area? I mean, all these things. Worry, worry, worry. Now, let me ask you this. How much did that worrying do for you? Feel great about it? Man, I just love to worry. It just makes me feel so good. You know, I'm just all at peace when I worry. It's so good for me. You know, I worry about something and poof, everything's just better. That's not how worry works, is it? Not at all. If you have your sermon notes, I invite you to take them out. And we're going to look not only uh, at what Jesus says about worry, but he actually gives us an anecdote for it. He gives us a better way to live. He gives us an option that we don't have without him. So as a way of introduction, the scripture says this in Matthew six twenty five. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not what? Worry. This is Jesus talking to us. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, risen from the dead, King of kings, Lord of lords. And he says to all who would follow him, do not worry. You don't have to anymore. I'm alive. 
I hold the keys of hell and death in my hand. You no longer have to worry about anything. If I can conquer death, I can conquer whatever you're worried about today. Bus stops, finances, health issues. I hold it all, Jesus says. Don't worry. Except in this scripture it says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. Now around here we know that every time we see a therefore in the scripture, we have to ask ourselves the question, What's the therefore therefore? You should always do this when you're reading the Bible. If you come to therefore, you have to stop and say, okay, what's before that, right? You can't just keep reading because it says therefore. There's something that predicates this statement. Well, what has Jesus been saying to his people? In Matthew 6, 19 to 24, he says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures where? On earth. Because what happens? Well, moth and rust or mice, they eat it. You never put stuff in your garage because it doesn't fit in your house anymore and you go out to bring it back in the house and it's all eaten. The mice got it. Or the critters get it. Or the grasshoppers got it. And, and, and thieves break in, they steal your stuff. But store up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Because it's safe there, right? Thieves don't break in and steal in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. Where your treasure is, your heart follows. Some of you know this to be true. Some of you have poured about a quarter million dollars into your children. And you love them. And these are, these are people that you care for. Now you may say, well, I just spent it because I love my kids. Well, maybe. But how many of you all have compassion kids? Kids that you sponsor. You're, you're paying $38 a month to save a life in another place. Chantel and I have had a number of these kids. And we have a heart for them. In ways that we wouldn't if we didn't sponsor them. We wouldn't know them. Does this make sense to you? Your, your heart goes where your money goes. It just is that way. Uh, in the Methodist church, we don't believe in gambling. But, for example, if, if you had uh, you know, money on the Dallas Steelers game, you're not watching Falcons-Eagles, right? I mean, you're going where the money is. That's where your heart is. That's what you're looking at. That's what, and it's axiomatic. It just is the case. Where your treasure is, where your money is, there your heart will be also. That's Jesus speaking this to us. He says, so put your money in places wisely because your heart's going to follow. Your life trajectory is going to follow where you put your money. And if, you're, if your money's going to, uh, you know, this sort of a place, um, then your life's going to follow in that direction. Whatever that is, it's good to think about. And then Jesus says this. He says, you cannot serve two masters. And the important word there um, is serve. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. You just can't. Now you can have God and wealth. Don't mishear me. Don't, hear, don't not hear what I'm not saying. Okay? So you can have God and you can have wealth and there's nothing better than a wealthy Christian who's blessing others with it. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. However, you have to choose this day whom you will serve. That's been, always been the way. Joshua says that 8,000 years earlier. You have to choose who you're going to serve. And you cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and money. You have to choose. Is God going to be first and let him take care of everything else? Or is money going to be first and God's in there wherever he can? And it's really about control, isn't it? It's about control. It's about destiny. Who's going to be in control of your life? Is it going to be you or is it going to be God? As Christians, we say that Jesus is control of our life. And we trust Jesus with our finances, with our kids at the bus stop, with the school year, with the whole shebang. It's about priority. You cannot serve God and wealth. You can't serve God and anything else. You have to choose. And Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek God first and everything else will come in 
to its right place. And so Jesus often taught by asking really, really great questions. And so here are some of those questions. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to anyone's life? Any takers? No, Jesus says, no, you can't do that. It doesn't work that way. Or, who of you, by worrying, has probably taken a year off your life? Well, I know some of you need to be raising your hands about now, right? Or, who of you, by worrying, is driving people in your life out of their minds because of your worry? Right? Again, we could have some hands around the room. Or, who of you, by worrying, has added value to what you value most? And that would be zero hands. Because worry steals. It doesn't add. Ever. Worry steals. It steals from today. It steals your joy. Have you ever worried about something for a few hours and then thought, man, I sure am just peaceful and joyful and happy? No, of course not. The more we worry, the more our life diminishes. It, it makes our lives smaller, much smaller. And so in the, in the scriptures, Jesus gives a stark command and a warning around worry. He says, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or what you will wear. This is in 625. And the key verse there, uh, or words there, is you're not going to worry about your life, what you will eat or will wear. Now, the will eat and will wear, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? Future tense. Way to go, English people. Very good. Future tense. You see, it doesn't say, don't worry what you used to eat. Uh, and don't worry about what you used to wear. It doesn't say, don't worry right now about what you are eating or what you are wearing. It doesn't say that at all. Sometimes you need to be aware of what you're eating and what you're wearing. That, that's a good thing. You'll notice that this is all about the future. Worry is all about the future. Worry is about tomorrow, not about today. And that's why it steals from your today. Because you're borrowing trouble from tomorrow. And that's the way Jesus ends this teaching. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will wear you see worry is about later that's your blank there worry is about later worry is about the future and once you start to get a grasp on this you can start to get free of it you see we never worry about anything that's happening in the moment right that that's not worry it might be something else it might be panic um, but it, it's certainly not worry worry is borrowed trouble from the next day so once you think about the things you worry about and notice that almost always the reason it's worry is because you can't do anything about it today. That's why it's worrisome. It's something beyond your control, and it's in the future. So Jesus asked this question, is your life, think about yourself here, is your life, Jesus is talking to you, is your life more than food and clothes? Is it? Sometimes. Right? I mean, think about the way you spend your time. How many hours a day or do you think about breakfast, lunch, dinner, fourth meal, snacks? If I say fourth meal, you think Taco Bell. I mean, you, you've been hardwired for this stuff, right? We're, we're about our bellies, about the way we look. Uh, is your life more than food and clothes? And Jesus says, of course it is. He actually says it in, in the thing. He says, is not your life more than that? Of course it is. Of course it is. Your life is much bigger than that, much broader than that. We have to see beyond, you know, where we're going to lunch with our group tomorrow or after church. Is your life more than what you worry about is what Jesus is saying. 
And you think about what you worry about. Is your life bigger than that? Let's hope so. Right? Of course it is. Of course it is. Your life is so much bigger about that, and God has it all. And here's what you need to remember, friends. Worry will steal your life. Worry will take your life. And I have seen it in Edmund over and over and over again. I have seen people in the church over time who at one time had a beautiful, wonderful life full of community and joy and health and happiness. And then they began to worry about what the other people in their small group thought. And they worried about what the people in the church thought. So they started coming to small group less often. They were worried about what he might say or what she might say or what their neighbor might say. And so they stopped going to group. They, they didn't like that. They felt it was safer to just not do that. And then a, a year or so later, now it didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but then about a year or so later, they stopped coming to church as often. They, they weren't in a group anymore and they weren't a part of Bible school anymore. And then they stopped coming to church as often. Maybe they were like, you know, rarely regular. And then they kind of came like once a month and then they started coming like every two months and and then, you know, then they started thinking, well, last time I came, somebody thought I was a guest. And they're like, hey, welcome to church. And I'm like, I used to go here all the time. And then I just felt weird about it. And I was pretty sure Pastor Mark was like dogging me from the pulpit. And Chantel looked at me weird. And, and Andy greeted me like four times. And your dad said, hello, who are you? I've known him for 20 years. You know, and I just, I was like, I'm, I don't know. I don't know if I can go back there. Right? You see how this works? And some people that I know and love and still visit with to this day. I have, I have one friend of mine, used to be really active here weekly, two and three times a week, has not left their home in over a month. You understand this? Because they're worried about what others will think, what others might say, how they might be judged. And, and the, this worry makes your world smaller and smaller and smaller until you can't leave your home and you die. And that's it. You lose your whole life. It's gone. Doesn't happen all at once. Bit by bit by bit. And that's not how it's supposed to be, friends. So we grow older, we're supposed to have more friends, not less. Right? Even if some of them die... We're supposed to continue to to grow and have life and community and love and understand that God has our future. We don't have to be worried what other people think. God, we have a live for an audience of one. What does God think? Not what will they think. What does God say about me? Not what will she say about me. But how do I mean? How do you do this, right? I mean, every time you get on Facebook, somebody's on vacation or they got a new car or their kids are smarter than mine. I mean, it's just awful. I mean, you really want to get depressed and worried, just read Facebook for a few hours. You'll be a mess, right? Much less Instagram. Holy smoke, the lives people live around here, right? It's depressing. So how do you not do it? How do you not worry? That's your blank there, point two. How do you not worry? Well, friends, Jesus offers an alternative to worry. He says, now, granted, that's the way the world works, but you don't have to. And, and if you're not a Christian, this is a great deal, I mean, even, even if you don't know about Jesus, what he teaches here is gold. You're going to want to know all about this. This can change your life. So look what he teaches in Matthew 6, 26. He says, look at the birds of the air. When's the last time you did some bird watching? 
You're like, are you kidding me? I don't have time to watch birds. Old people do that. Like, come on. I, I got pre-K, and I got swim practice, and I got ballet, and I got to work, and you know, da, 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 da. Birds of the air. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Same today as it was. That. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says. Slow down. Those birds, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father, God himself, God of the universe, he feeds them. He feeds them. You know, if you forget to put out bird seed in your bird feeder, you're not going to kill all the birds. You may not see them. They may eat somewhere else, but you're not killing them. You don't have that power. God feeds his birds. It's not up to us. It's beyond our control. And he says, are not, are, they, are not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than the little birds that go to your bird feeder? Of course you are, he says. Of course you are. And then Jesus goes on. He says, can you by worrying add a single hour to your life? No. Of course not. You can take hours off your life, but you can't add to them in that way. So then he goes on as if that wasn't enough. And he says, so why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field, how they grow? They don't labor. They don't plan out. They don't say, hmm, I'm a red rose bush, so I think I better have some green leaves and some red roses. They don't worry about it. They don't, they don't have the ability that humans have to think into the future. They just are. Okay, they don't spend, they don't toil, they don't labor. God's designed it that they're well taken care of year after year after year. And so Jesus goes on. He says, so I tell you that not even Solomon, the, the greatest uh, temple builder, uh, sort of extravagant person that anyone would have known in Jesus' day, and all of his splendor was dressed like one of these, one of these flowers. And so he says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, right, it's beautiful, you know, if you drive through Texas, you see the blue bonnets, or you drive through Oklahoma, you see the Indian paintbrush, and it's just beautiful, it's awesome. Nobody necessarily planted it there, it's just there. You know, sometimes around Oklahoma, you get all these black-eyed Susans that are just gorgeous, and daisies that just pop up, or sunflowers that are simply there in your backyard. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. He says, but all of that, you know, you can gather that up and bind it up and throw it in the fire. You can use it as fuel. He says, so if you take all that beauty and you can do that, he says, will God not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Now, he's, he's kind of teasing them there. Uh, if you look at the Greek uh, around, you have little faith. Uh, Andy Stanley, in, in the sermon series that I'm adapting, uh, he, he, says, uh, he says it like this. That Jesus is just kind of teasing them. This is the only time the Greek ever reads like this because Matthew's trying to help us see that Jesus is kind of poking his listeners. He's like, if God does all that and you're more valuable than that, I mean, really, friends? He's like, Will God not do more for you, you little faithers, you? Come on. You know, he's just kind of joking with them. And you could kind of hear them chuckle on the, on the mountainside, on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're supposed to get that. Like, well, yeah, that's just kind of silly. Of course God cares about us more than some, you know, some dead grass in August. Of course. So, Jesus says, don't worry. Saying, whoa, no. What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Now, you will note that Jesus in this context is not speaking to West Edmond people who are trying to lose weight. It's much more important than that. He's very likely talking to people who are hungry as he speaks to them. He's very likely talking to people who have not had a drink in hours because it's a desert area. He's very likely talking to Bedouins in the Judean desert who really don't know what they're going to wear. He's not talking to people who need some more off-site storage to hold what they can't wear any longer because it's two sizes too small because they've had so much to eat and drink. 
So it's very difficult for us to get into the mindset of the people who would hear this. The people who are hearing this are like, well, Jesus, I am pretty worried about what I'm going to eat because I'm hungry. I am kind of worried about what I'm going to drink because I'm thirsty. And I am really worried about what I'm going to wear because winter's coming. And I'm not sure I'm going to make it. They were worried. Not like, not like we think about it fashion-wise. They are worried about it. And then Jesus says this. He says, for the pagans, now that's not a bad deal in Jesus' day. It just simply means not a Jew, right? It's, it's essence, right? Unless you're Jewish. But for most of us, this is going to be us. We're pagans. Um, and in Jesus' day, we would have been because we wouldn't have been Jews. He says, for the pagans, regular people, the world, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. That's just, that's just the way the world works. He says, but not so with you. Not, not if you know me, not if you know God, not if you know that God loves you, is taking care of you. You don't have to live like that anymore. You, you just don't. The, the pagans run after that. You don't run after that. You don't have to because you can trust your heavenly father. You can trust me. And so then he, he closes it up like this. He says, so seek first what? God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things that you're worried about will be given to you as well. You don't have to go toil and spend for them. They'll be provided. They'll be provided. You don't need to worry about it. Seek first. Now, you'll note that in the Greek, the term run after, if you're following along in your blanks, run after and seek first, it's the same words. Uh, they're translated differently, but it's the same Greek original. And so it, it could, you could read it. Um, so pagans seek first all these things, but you, you followers of mine, followers of my dad, Run after God. Run after what he wants you to do. And don't worry about all the rest of that. Because he loves you more than birds, more than grass, more, more than anything you can imagine. He loves you. And I love you. Everything else is going to be taken care of. Don't worry about it. Don't borrow worry from tomorrow. It just will steal your life. Now, again, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if I had Chantel as my wife, I wouldn't worry about anything either. She does everything for you. You know, she runs the household, and she helps you make decisions. She dresses you clearly. I mean, you know, all these things, right? I mean, I, I wouldn't be worried either if I had a Chantel. I actually had one of my female colleagues say that to me early in ministry. She's like, man, my church would grow too if I had a Chantel. You know, they just, I mean, I get it. We're all different. But I want to remind you that God is in control even when it doesn't feel like it. And not just here but everywhere. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And I learned this in a very interesting way a number of years ago when I traveled to Nigeria. I had a friend and colleague of mine from seminary at Southern Methodist University. He had joined the church that I was serving at Highland Park, and he came back around, as friends will do from time to time, and he said, I want you to help me plant churches in Nigeria. You're planting Acts 2, uh, we were at the middle school at the time at Cheyenne, and, and Sunday Agona uh, said, I want you to come help me plant churches. We're planting churches all over Nigeria. And so Reverend Sunday and his wife Agona, uh, their last name is actually Anoa, I, I said it wrong, um, they invited us over. So uh, me and some folks from the church, we decided to go over and build the first Christian radio station there in Lagos, Nigeria, uh, and to teach some church planters and to help them out. And so we, we fly into Lagos, Nigeria, um, and it's, it's got more people in it than I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I've been to New York City. It didn't compare to Lagos, Nigeria. People everywhere and just no infrastructure, destitute, dirty, smelly, scary, the only white people 
that you'll see. And it's like three of us white folks and Nigerians everywhere. I mean, we talk about sticking out. And we, we had a full armored entourage everywhere we went to protect us so that we wouldn't be kidnapped. And so we're, we're doing this work. And, and so one of our first stops uh, is to uh, the seminary. People from all over Nigeria had, had moved to this seminary. They'd uh, taken everything that they needed for the year or two of seminary training or three. And then they put it, you know, on the back of a, a motorcycle or a, a donkey or a backpack and they moved in. And, and I go to see the rector and I say to the rector, how y'all doing? Uh, I'm really excited about teaching you about church planting. And he says, not well. And I said, well, well why not? He says, because of the rabbis. And I said, excuse me? He goes, because of the rabbis. And I said, I'm sorry, I just don't understand. He said, the armed men. Last night we were attacked again with men with machetes and M16s to come and steal the students' belongings because they knew that, one, we were a seminary. We probably wouldn't kill them. Uh, and two, that they had brought all their belongings, and so we were an easy mark. And so we were up all night in hand-to-hand combat with people trying to steal our stuff. He said, so we're pretty beat down. Could you just pray for us? Could we have a prayer service today where you just pray over us and ask the Lord's blessing on us for protection and grace? <laughs> As a very white Edmund pastor, I was like, okay. So we did. We anointed them with oil. And you see how happy they are? They're smiling. This is, this is like within six hours of them doing hand-to-hand combat with people who are trying to steal all their stuff and kill them if possible and get out. And we do. We have a beautiful service. Then we go to a school. You see how happy these kids are? Friends, these smiling, beautiful Nigerian children outside of Lagos, this is all they have. The clothes on their back, that's all they have. Happier than perhaps any kid I've met in the States. They certainly weren't griping about their Nintendo not working or their Game Boy or, or their iPhone you know, malfunctioning. They get none of that there. Thrilled, thrilled to be together in community, happy in ways that we can only imagine. And so we go from there and we preach and we teach. And this is their teacher that has basically no books, no computers, no air conditioning, no windows. Thrilled to have the opportunity to meet with others who could help them continue to educate their children and teach them about Jesus, the hope of the world, the hope of their life. Thrilled. You see those smiles. You understand this is possible. It's not about what you wear. It's not about what you eat, whether you, whether you have enough to eat. It's not about what you drive or where you live or what neighborhood you're in. So, I'm very frustrated at this point because I'm not a handyman and I'm not building much of that Christian uh, radio station. And the other group that we got paired up with I thought was going to get us killed. Uh, There was a guy from Maryland who was kind of off page and he kept trying to uh, see this kid's M16 and he kept trying to grab it from the kid and I'm like, we are all dead. We're just going to die any moment. It was very scary for me. Chantel and I were much younger, and our boys were still maybe in elementary school, barely. Barely. This would have been like an 03, 12 years ago. So Noah would have been five. So we go to the obvious state uh, place, which is where the governor's mother lives. Some of you all know Macy Land there, uh, Cosmo uh, and Jerry Cotton there. Uh, Cosmo was this huge huge Nigerian and he would grab my hand as only Nigerian men would do and we would walk hand in hand around the town which I was very uncomfortable with but Cosmo seemed to love it and so I was like okay don't let me die and the part of the story I haven't told you is that my friend Sunday who took us to this trip disappeared 12 hours into the trip 
We got to Lagos, and he was called by the uh, president of Nigeria to come be on his cabinet. We didn't see him. He left me with a guy I'd met five minutes earlier called Cosmo. And so here I am trying to lead a trip with two of our congregants with people I've never met, don't know, in Nigeria, under armed guard. And so we leave the governor mother's house, and we tell her that we are here, and we're coached in this, that we're here to see how they treat their poor. And we're told about an old Episcopal uh, woman who had started an orphanage for mentally ill uh, and disabled folks out in the bush because they believed in ways that we do not, that anyone with a mental illness was demon-possessed, and they would either kill them or send them off. And so what she did was she made their first sort of orphanage, if you will, for adults with mental disabilities. Uh, with no, uh, no gates, they were able to come or leave as they wished. But if they left, they were really in the middle of the jungle and in the bush with literally lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. And so uh, we, we do this thing where we, we eat bitter nut and we eat this weird food and they kind of just haze us um, in, this, in this lady's lair, if you will, and then, uh, and then we leave and, and we go to see this place where all these disabled people are supposed to be. And, and I feel like the, total, the whole trip is a waste. And we, this is, we're, we're out in the bush. And we, we pull in, and when we get there, uh, the lady we're supposed to meet is gone. She is ill, like about to die in London in a hospital there. She's left. They haven't had any leadership in over two months, and they've run out of food three days ago. And I'm like, Jesus, this sucks. I'm in the middle of the desert. I'm doing no one no good. I can't do anything right. Uh, my, I look like a fool for taking my people out here. We're not building the station. These people are starving. We're watching them starve. This is a bust. What, what are you doing? I must have misheard you. I just don't know what's going on. Right? And then we hear sirens. And I'm like, oh boy, this is it. I'm going to jail, dying in a Nigerian jail. End of story. You know, my one phone call to Chantel. Please forgive me, I'm dead. That sort of a thing. And then we come to, to this photo, and what happens is we apparently had shamed the governor's mother enough that she brought the people who had been starving for three days three months' supply of food because the Americans were there to see. So they show up with their press, their photographer, their videographer, and the entire entourage of the government uh, around that section of Nigeria, and they feed all the people. They bring enough rice and plantain for a good three months to feed every person that's there. Save their lives. All 20, 30 people in that orphanage. And Jesus says, Mark, don't worry about what you're going to eat, much less what they're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear, they're going to wear. I've got this. And you won't see what I'm doing. You don't understand what I'm doing. You don't know how I'm going to do it. This isn't about you anyway. I'm trying to keep my kids alive. Will you get out of the way and just you know, eat the crazy food and do the things you're supposed to do and just go where I tell you today and I'll take care of tomorrow. Not just yours, everybody's tomorrow. Just get out of the way. Give up control. Don't worry about the outcomes. I'm doing something. And the food literally drops from the sky. In Jesus' name. See how this works? Now, I don't know what you're worried about today, but I'm betting you haven't been without food for three days in the middle of a jungle and even in that, even in that, Jesus says, fear not, worry not, I got you, it's okay. So you see, the problem is, we're at point three, the problem is trust or confidence in God. That's what we're talking about. 
Confidence and trust in God. Is it in ourselves and what we can do, or is it in God, what God can do? So he says this, do not drag concerns of tomorrow into today. God's got it. God's got it. Andy Stanley puts it this way. He says, worry is about chasing things you can never get because it's tomorrow. And then he said this, and I I thought this was brilliant. He says, when you are tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. Will you read that with me? When you're tempted to borrow from tomorrow, look for a way to participate in what God is doing today. Today. Ask God that question. What do you want to do today? And so Jesus says this, therefore, do not worry about fill in the blank. I want you to fill in your blank there. Therefore, do not worry about whatever the blank is. Okay, whatever that is. Whatever that is. And then reframe that. Because what Jesus is telling us is, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. That's what he's saying. So whenever you think, well, I'm not going to worry about my boss. I'm not going to worry about my marriage. I'm not going to worry about my kids. I'm not going to worry about the whatever my sickness, my illness, just change it to tomorrow. Because God's with me and God will have tomorrow. And I'm going to let God have the outcome. And this can be very, very difficult, particularly if you have had major loss in your life. I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm I'm not trying to gloss over that. But I do want to offer you hope that God is the holder of tomorrow. Really, God is the holder of tomorrow. You see, Jesus answers later in the Gospel of John. He, he says this, Don't let your hearts be troubled, friends. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And that's right before he goes to the cross. He tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, then you can come where I am. I have defeated death itself. A little later in that chapter, he says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Just remember Jesus' words to you. My peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. Not as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I'm with you. I am with you. I am with you. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Never again. Paul picks this up in in Philippians. And he says this. Don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, talking with God, the Almighty, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, peace beyond your knowing, it transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's what he says. That's what he says. And so our action step for tonight, friends, is this. When you get up in the morning, I simply want to encourage you, ask God this question. What are we going to do today? What are we going to do today? Just ask God that question. What are we going to do today? Not me on my own. Not what God on his own. What are we going to do today? Right? This is the question. And then live into it. And leave the outcomes to God. Leave the outcomes to God. Do what you can do today with God. And leave tomorrow to God for he cares for you. He cares for you. He loves you. He loves you. So friends... um, One last time, let's read Matthew 6, 25 together. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Of course it is. Of course it is. Be at peace. If you close your eyes, I want to pray for you and read over you a prayer that has been around for Uh, nearly 500 years. 
Hear these words from St. Francis de Sales. Do not look forward to what might happen tomorrow. The same everlasting Father who cares for you today will take care of you tomorrow and every day. Either He will shield you from suffering or He will give you unfailing strength to bear it. Be at peace then and put aside all anxious thoughts and imaginations.